Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. seemed like a great idea. We had bikes. It was fun. I loved like, going out and riding and all these things. But what happened was that every time that we did it, we would go out and I would always want to go farther, up more hills, um, more off-roading, and further than she had any desire to do. Because what Abby wanted to do was go with her husband on a nice leisurely bike ride. But I'm like, no, let's go here. Let's go down this. Let's jump off things, right? And it never worked. And my bike was far better than hers. And her bike was always like stuck in a weird gear. And she's like, what? It never ended well. And I had to come to the point, well, we kind of had to come to the point with say, you know what? We're not going to ride bikes together. Um, now, we've done it a few times recently, and it's better. I think I've learned, right? Uh, because I had to come to the point where I say, yeah, that's my fault. I was wrong. Like, I did not uh, do the bike riding thing correctly with Abby and made it no fun because I was trying to do more than we should have, right? But it takes guts to say, I was wrong. I messed up. I did the wrong thing to acknowledge I'm the problem, right? For us to say, you know what, I'd rather hide, I'd rather kind of pass blame, I'd rather be the victim, I'd rather say, well, I did that because so-and-so did that, or I just did this because, and all of those kind of things. We would rather do that. And so today we're talking about confession, right? And what I mean by that, there's a lot of different ideas of what confession. If I say confession, you might picture in your mind like a, a, a cathedral with a little box you go sit in and you talk to a priest or you see that, you know, we see that in movies or um, maybe you kind of grew up that way. Um, but what I'm talking about this morning, or we can think of it as like a, a legal sense of like someone confessing to a crime. Um, but the way we're talking about confession this morning is how we interact with God when we have done something that's wrong. To confess to God, to acknowledge to God, I've done wrong. I have sinned. We're talking about confession. How do we interact with God when we've sinned or failed and done wrong? And I'll be the first to tell you this morning, I know what guilt feels like. I know what shame feels like. When it weighs on you, when it eats at you, when it's the only thing you can think about, where you can, all you can think is, I know what I've done, and I know that I've messed up, and I know that I'm the problem, and I have been there more times than I can count. I want to tell you this morning, there's good news, that you can be forgiven. You can be made clean and set free. So the main point this morning that I want us to hear is this, that when we are honest with God about our sin, we can experience forgiveness and restored joy. We're honest with God. We confess to God our sin. We can experience forgiveness and restored joy. And so this week, we're in week two of our series from the book of Psalms called Overflow of the Hearts. And so if you're, if you're new to this, what is the book of Psalms? It's a book, in, it's a part of the Bible, towards the middle of the Bible. And it's a collection of 150 psalms, or, or you could call them songs. They're songs and prayers that the, the Israelite people used in their worship and communicating with God and in their daily lives, right? And, and in case you care, um, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian have named their most recent child Psalm. 
Um, I don't know if you knew that. I saw that this week. Um, it seems that this series has a lot of influence in the little celebrity baby naming world, right? Um, the baby's name is Psalm West. So there's that. That has nothing to do with my sermon. I just read that this week, and uh, yeah, so there you go. Um, Psalms. That's where it comes from, right? There's probably a lot of people Googling, what is Psalm, right? And uh, yeah, that's good. So the book of Psalms, though, the main point here is that it expresses an overflow of the heart to God in multiple things, in rejoicing, in gratitude, in worship, in pain, in suffering, in fear, in honesty, in emotions of everyday life. But what we see in the book of Psalms is that through all of it, God is faithful. God is steadfast. God is loving. God keeps his promises and that God is strong. So when we talk about an overflow of the heart, it's about honesty with God. It's about being authentic in our lives with him and not being fake with God. And here's the reality. It's not always a pretty thing. Right? It's not always the best, most beautiful thing to be authentic and real with people or with God. Right? It can be messy because some of the most real and authentic moments in our lives are when we have reached our end. And all we can do is either just ask for help or cry out for help or just simply cry. Right? And it's not pretty. Right? Who knows what it means to like ugly cry? Anybody? Anybody ever ugly cry where it's just like snot and tears and it's all like all this stuff? And yeah, it happens, right? But this, often those are the moments of the most authenticity with God. And that's what the sense of what we get in the book of Psalms. There's times when I think if we could have seen whoever was writing the Psalm, David or whoever, it was probably an ugly cry. We're saying, God, where are you? And so when we talk about an overflow of the heart, it's pouring out our hearts to him, letting our hearts overflow to him and dealing honestly with God. So when we are honest with God about our sin, we can experience forgiveness and restored joy. So if you've got a Bible, soon we're going we're gonna to read Psalm 51 together. But I want to give you a little bit of context before we go there. All right, you guys with me? You awake? Ready to go? Okay, good. If you need coffee, there's still coffee there. Uh, if you need to kind of keep yourself fueled as we go through this, that's good. Uh, so before we read our scripture this morning, let's get some context. All right, we're looking at, the, uh, at what the book of Psalms is, what, what you could call a psalm of confession or a psalm of penitence, a psalm of like, hey, I've done something wrong and I've got to deal with it. Right? And these psalms of confession, there are seven of them, and every single time it's people acknowledging and confessing their sin to God. And these psalms are filled with brokenness and sorrow for the sin that has been committed. So we're going to read Psalm 51, but I want to tell us the backstory of why it was written. So it was written by King David. If you're familiar with David, right, he's the guy, he was a shepherd. He wrote a lot of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. Um, he's the guy that killed Goliath with a slingshot. He was the king of Israel. The Bible describes him, as a, describes him as a man after God's own heart. This is David, one of the most well-known people in the Bible and generally seen as someone to, to, to emulate and to model of what it means to love and follow God with his life. So, but in this story about David, this is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter, 2 Samuel, sorry, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And here's the story. You can go read those later on your own. But the story goes like this, that it was the time of year when kings went out to war. This was normal for them. They would go out to war and they were either protecting territory or taking territory or whatever it was. It was a time when they go out to war, but David stayed home. David said, I think I'm good. I've got people. I'll send them out. I'll stay back. I'll hang back. So in general, David was not where he was supposed to be. And if you know the story, David is relaxing on his palace rooftop, rooftop 
And he looks around and he sees a woman with the ironic name of Bathsheba taking a bath, right? He likes what he sees, and he tells a servant, hey, go find out more about her from me. I'd like to know who she is. So the servant goes and comes back and said, hey, she's married to this guy named Uriah. Uriah is, is off to war right now. And so David says, bring her to me. And David sleeps with her, and long story short, she gets pregnant. So David is kind of saying, okay, now what do I do? I've got to fix this somehow. So David sends off for, to, the, to the front lines of the battle. He sends for Uriah, the husband. He says, have him come home. His plan is to get Uriah home, to sleep with his wife, to try to cover the whole thing up. It didn't work because Uriah was a good soldier. Uriah comes home and he basically says, how can I go and be at home and all of that when all my fellow soldiers are off facing war? And so Uriah says, I'm going to stay at the king's palace with the servants. I'm going to stay there because I'm, it's wartime and I'm in wartime mode and I'm not at home right now. So that doesn't work. So David says, okay, well, maybe if I can get him drunk. Then I'll send him home and you know what and blah, blah, blah and all that. It doesn't work. So the cover-up is getting worse. So getting worse. So finally David gives up and he sends Uriah back to the war. He tells the generals, he says, listen, this guy Uriah, put him where the fighting is the worst and when the fighting gets bad, have everybody else pull back. So it was a death sentence for Uriah. He was sending Uriah to his death. And that's what happens. The plan works, and Uriah dies. David then has Bathsheba brought to him. He marries her. And 2 Samuel chapter 11 ends with these words. This is, what God, this is what the Bible says. It says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David had sinned. He had committed sexual sin. He tries to cover it up. In the process, he has a man killed, and he thinks he's gotten away with it. This is how it happens often for us. Like, we typically don't wake up one morning and say, how can I just ruin my life? No, it happens when we're not where we're supposed to be. The small decisions we make, we put ourselves in situations where all of a sudden we end up somewhere and we look back and say, how did I get here? What just happened? How did I do that? And I think that's what's going through David's mind here. But he says, I've got to hide it. I've got to keep up this image of who I am. And so then when the story goes on, you go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and here's what happened. There's a prophet in that time, and his name was Nathan. And Nathan comes to David and tells him a story. And David's like, oh, this is great. I like stories, right? So Nathan comes and says, David, there was a rich man, and there was a poor man. The rich man had many, many sheep and herds and flocks and all these things. He had a lot. The poor man had one lamb. A traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man said, I'm not gonna, I don't want to offer uh, something. I don't want to have uh, an animal killed to feed this man. I don't want to do that. So instead, the rich man went and stole the poor man's one lamb. He said, I'm going to take that. I'm going to kill it. And I'm going to feed it to this traveler who's come to me. So David's listening to this story, and he gets angry. He's like, that's not right. It's not going to happen in my kingdom. That's not going to happen. He said, that man deserves to die. And Nathan stops and looks at David in the eyes, and he says, you are the man. And you can imagine in that moment, David, it all clicks. And he goes, uh-oh, I've been found out. God, through the prophet Nathan, has revealed what I have done. The story was about him. David had all that he needed in the world, and yet he took Bathsheba as his own, had Uriah killed. This hurts. Has this ever happened to you where you have all of a sudden come face to face with your sin and you can't get away from it, right? It's happened to me. When in an instant you realize, I'm the problem. 
My sin has found me out. And again, we know what that feels like, the guilt, the shame that we feel in those moments from our sin, from our bad decisions, that when we come face to face with it, we can either keep trying to run or we can own it. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. He owned it in that moment. So this is the backdrop of why Psalm 51 was written. And you'll see that if you look in the Bible, there's like a little heading that says, this is when the story about David and Bathsheba, right? David had sinned greatly. So let's read our passage together. Now you've got some context. Let's read this and we'll go on from there, all right? Psalm 51, verse 1. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. We're going to talk through this. There's a lot there. But David is writing this as a plea to God for mercy because of his sin. So there's three things that I want to look at this morning, uh, the general idea of where we're going. I want to look at true confession, the source of forgiveness, and the result of confession. So underneath these, I'll have some other small points. Those will be on the screen. You'll see them as we go. But first, we want to look at what does real confession look like? Because in our lives, we don't want a fake confession. Right? We see that all the time. If you watch the news and someone gets caught in doing something and they're in front of cameras and they're like, you know, they kind of give the words of a confession, but they're not really confessing. They're not really owning up to much, right? Um, back in the day, uh, there was a, a baseball player, Alex Rodriguez. Incredible, incredible baseball player, right? Uh, like Hall of Fame, all this stuff. Well, it got figured out that he had been taking steroids to make him better at baseball, right? And so he gets caught and he does this interview and he says, yeah, I, I did it. But the whole time he's like, well... I did it back then. It was a different era. Everybody was doing it. Um, you know, like, I, I decided not to. And the whole time in the interview, I watched it on YouTube this week. He's not remorseful. He's the victim. He says, I, I had to do that if I wanted to keep up. Like, I had to. I wanted to be great. Right? Who could blame me? I want to be a great baseball player. Right? It wasn't a really good confession. Right? He was not remorseful. He passed the blame. 
So what is real confession? The first thing that we see of real confession is that true confession requires acknowledging our sin. So we look at Psalm 51. From the very beginning of this chapter, David is owning his sin. It's the entire reason that he's writing it and crying out to God for mercy, right? And as we see in verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. And that very idea, the very heart behind that is that a plea for mercy is a confession of guilt, right? Because when we start to recognize I'm guilty, that's when we truly cry out for mercy. A plea for mercy is a confession of guilt. We see in verse 3, David says, My sin, I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. David's acknowledging his sin. That when he knows, like when we're guilty, you and I know this too, when we're guilty, it eats at us. It's constantly in the front of our minds. A number of years ago, I, I had a bunch of guitar equipment, and I had friends, and we would kind of buy guitar stuff and, like, these little pedal things and all this stuff. And then there was this, like, group on Facebook where you could, like, sell things and all that kind of thing. Well, I had this pedal at one point in time, and it worked. It was great. And yet when you clicked on it, it made this, like, popping sound, right? So I sold this pedal on the thing, and I didn't, like, say, hey, it makes a popping sound, right? I should have done that. So I sell it. This guy buys it. I get the money. He contacts me. He's like, hey, what's the deal? This thing has like, got a problem. It's got this popping sound. Why did you sell it to me? Why did you do this? Like, and so um, in that moment, I knew. I was like, I, I did something wrong. I was deceitful to that guy. I should have told him what the deal was. I had to acknowledge my sin. I didn't know the guy, but I had to contact him and say, you know what? I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and that's not how I should have done. And I had to ask his forgiveness, and I had to say, whatever you want me to do to make it right. And so we made it right, but I had to own that. We have to recognize. And in that moment, that, that decision was eating at me, and I knew it. And we recognize that. That's where David says, my sin is always before me. We can try to run from it, we can try to hide from it, but it's there. In verse 5, David goes even further in acknowledging his sin. In verse 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, David's not blaming his mom, right? In general, that's probably a bad idea. Like, no, it's because my mom. That's, that's, that's her fault, right? No, David's not rather, he's not blaming his mom here. Rather, what he's doing, he's confessing the extent of his iniquity. He's saying, hey, I was sinful from birth. Like, I, this, is, this is who I was born with sin. He's confessing the extent of his iniquity. That word iniquity has this idea of being twisted, this twisted nature of his sin, right? How many, uh, before like the days of like Bluetooth headphones, if you've got headphones, how many hours in a week do you spend untangling headphones, right? They get twisted up. And this is this idea of iniquity. We're not correct. We're not right with God. We're twisted. And so David says, deep in my heart, I'm sinful. I've known it. From birth, I've been sinful. Because true confession, real confession, doesn't blame. It's owning up to your sin, coming to terms to fact, to, coming to terms with the fact that you are the problem. David acknowledges and owns his sin. He got caught. That's true. But when he is confronted with his sin, he owns it. There's a difference between like getting caught and giving a fake confession, and getting caught and being like, "Yeah, you're right." So David 
He gets confronted, and he confesses it, he acknowledges it, and he owns it. Secondly, thing, uh, the second point about true confession is that this. True confession requires humility, right? The entire posture of this psalm is humility. It's not David being like, well, God, here's what you're going to do. It's David crying out to God in humility, right? Because to confess to God or even to confess to another person requires us humbling ourselves. Coming to a point where we've said, I need help. I need forgiveness. I need, I, we're asking with humility. We look at verses 16 and 17 in this passage. It says this, that David says, talking to God, he says, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. And what David is saying was, hey, if this was as easy as me just going to the temple and sacrificing an animal and being done with it, then great, I, I would have done that. But David says, that's not what you want. God, what you're looking for is a heart that's broken and contrite and humble. A heart that says, I am needy. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. To be humble, to come to God and say, I can't fix myself. I can't get out of this. I can't fix it. God, I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. This type of confession is humbling ourselves before God. Because we think that to come to God for mercy... We think, I've got to get myself together. I've got to kind of clean up a little bit. I've got to fix some things. I've got to be strong. But the opposite is true. Because God is looking for brokenness. God is looking for humility, for honesty. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. It doesn't say, God, you will not despise the one who comes, who has everything figured out and everything together. God is looking for brokenness and humility for that overflow of our heart to simply come to God and say, God, I need you. I need your mercy. True confession requires humility. And thirdly, under that point, true confession recognizes who our sin is against. Verse 4 is really important in this chapter. Who did David sin against? Did he sin against Bathsheba? Yeah. Did he sin against Uriah? Uh, definitely because Uriah was killed. Did he sin against uh, David at the time, his wife, by, by cheating on his wife with Bathsheba? Did he, did he sin in those things? Yes. But in this chapter, who does David say he sinned against? He said, I've sinned against God. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned. I don't think David was saying, yeah, those other people don't matter. He was acknowledging the very root of the sin. So such an important understanding of our sin because, yes, our sin impacts other people around us. How many people know that? My sin impacts it, and my sin has impacted people around me. There are plenty of times when we need to confess our sin to someone. We need to ask their forgiveness. But we must understand that ultimately our sin is against God because we are living and operating outside of the way that he created us to live. We like to have nicer ways to talk about sin, right? To say, oh, it's mistakes or, or hang-ups or bad habits or it's my personality or my issues, right? But what does it say? It's sin. When we live outside of the way that God created us and the way that God shows us in the Bible, it's sin. And we have to acknowledge that our sin is against God. Sin is opposed to God. Sin is willful rebellion against the holiness of God. And sin matters because the holiness of God matters. 
In a different part of Psalms, in chapter 5, verse 4, this will be on the screen, it says this. It says, for you are not a God. David also wrote this. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. What's he saying? God and sin don't mix. We cannot bring our sinful lives into the presence of God. That's why no one will be in heaven with God who has not had their sin removed by Jesus. Because sin and holiness don't mix. There is right and wrong. And we must recognize that in our world, that my sin, I'm talking about me, and your sin, you can pause for a moment and think about, okay, what are those things? Those things are ultimately against God, who has created us, loved us, and knows what's best for us. And our sin dishonors him. Our sin is treason against him. This is a big deal because we have to recognize how much of a mess we're in because of sin. So this is what true confession looks like. It acknowledges our sin. It's humble, and it recognizes ultimately who our sin is against. All right, are we good? You guys are like, okay, this is pretty heavy, right? Stick with me. We're going to keep going. This is what true confession looks like. Secondly, what is the source of forgiveness? So we're talking about confession, but in order to do that, we have to talk about who we are confessing to, right? If the purpose of confession is forgiveness, then where is that coming from, right? We're not confessing just because, oh, I'm confessing. We're seeking mercy. We're seeking forgiveness from God. And we see it in verse 1, and I love this. David says, have mercy on me, O God. Why? According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Forgiveness flows from God's character. Forgiveness flows from who God is. It's not just God saying, yeah, it's okay, just don't do it again. He doesn't just take our sin and just kind of sweep it under the rug and say, yeah, don't do that. God says, no, sin must be paid for. Sin must be judged. And so forgiveness is possible because of who God is. He's a God of steadfast love. He's a God of abundant mercy. This is his character. It's almost like this is the personality of God. This is who he is, loving, merciful. And David bases his appeal here for God's mercy. He doesn't say, God, I've been a pretty good person, so please forgive me. Um, God, I deserve this. He says, I don't. But God, according to who you are, I'm begging for your mercy. His appeal for God's mercy, he bases it on God's faithfulness. God's covenantal love and abundant compassion. He looks and says, God, you don't give up on me. God, you are faithful, you are loving, and you forgive because of that. David appeals to God's character because God in his holiness is two things. He's both loving and he is just. He is both of those things. He is the only one who has the right to forgive because he is without sin. If God had sin, then what right does he have to forgive sin? Yet God is holy. He is outside of sin. Forgiveness comes from God, not from us deserving it or from us using some kind of magic words and saying it right and all those things. But forgiveness comes because of who God is, his character, his faithfulness, his love, his mercy, his justice, his righteousness. Forgiveness flows from God's character. And secondly, what's the source of forgiveness? It's this. Forgiveness is a work of God. Think about this. Even the desire to confess sin 
doesn't even start with you and I. Even the desire for us to be made right with God doesn't start with us. Why? Because what did Jesus say? When Jesus was with his disciples, he promised the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is convict us of sin. And so when we have that conviction and that desire to say, God, have mercy on me, it's not just because we're like, okay, yeah, I need to get myself together. It is God, through his Spirit, convicting us of sin and working in our hearts. So any desire you have to deal with your sin it's because God is pursuing you. He's chasing you down. He's working in you. He's convicting you of your sin. He's making you and me recognize and see that we have a problem. This is the grace of God because conviction comes before forgiveness. And that word conviction is that point where we go, I know I've done something wrong. And we're convicted of our sin. In the same way that legally someone would say, you are convicted of this crime. It's true. It's proven. You've done it. When we are faced with that, it's God's grace in us drawing us to turn from our sin, to repent of our sin, to confess our sin because God is the source of forgiveness. So what is the source of forgiveness? It's God himself because of his holiness and his righteousness. Third and final point you're sleepy, shake yourself off, stay awake. We're going to keep going because this is where it gets good. What is the result of confession? Why does this matter at all? What's the result? What happens? First of all, we are made clean. And over and over and over in this passage, we see this imagery of being made clean, of being made whiter than snow, of being forgiven. When I was a kid, I was probably six years old. I don't know if Abby knows this story or not. Right, when I was a kid, and I, I lived kind of out in the country, and we had one bus that took like kindergartners through high schoolers to school, and I was on the bus almost an hour to school and back every day. Long time, right? Probably a bad idea. Kindergartners and high schoolers all together, it's, it's bad. Like, I'm grateful that I turned out. I think, okay, that's because of Jesus, right? So when I was a kid, though, I would ride the bus, and I started learning like as a six-year-old, some words that are not good, like all the bad words, right? As a six-year-old, I knew all the bad words. And I found myself, for whatever reason, I had a good home, all those kind of things, but I found myself using these bad words because I learned them. And I'm six, you know, maybe I don't know the full extent of everything, but I'm using these bad words. I was like just cursing like a sailor as a kindergartner, right? Uh, and you're like, really, you? No, yeah, that was me when I was six, all right? And so I remember, I, honestly, I can't remember how long this went on. I don't know if it was a few weeks. I don't know, whatever. But I remember laying in my bed one night as a six-year-old. And, and even as a kid, I, I grew up hearing the good news of Jesus, and I had chosen, I had put my faith in Jesus. I said, you know what? I know I'm sinful, and I need God's forgiveness. So I had followed Jesus even from a young age. I, I recognized and understood that. And I remember laying in my bed one night, and it was just like the only thing I could think of. I was convicted. I knew that I had done wrong. I knew that my words were dishonoring to God, dishonoring to my family, and it is not how me as a kid, as a follower of Jesus, should be speaking. And I laid there, and I laid there, and it was eating at me. And I remember it was late at night. And I got up, and I walked into the living room where my parents were. I think my dad was already asleep, and my mom was... I I distinctly actually remember her watching Cheers, which, whatever, you know, Cheers is a weird show. I don't know why it was ever popular. But you just literally just sit and watch people hang out in a bar. It's boring, right? 
Anyways, I remember walking in, and I had just tears in my eyes. I said, Mom, I told her what I had done. I told her that I had been using these words, and she prayed with me, and I confessed that sin to God, and I knew I was forgiven. But I remember, and this was such a long time ago, but I remember looking to my mom and just that relief, the grace of God, that relief of saying, of acknowledging my sin and confessing it. And here's what I told my mom. I remember this so distinctly. I said, it feels like a broom has swept those things out of my heart. And even now, it's such a powerful image to think that in our sin and in our brokenness, that God comes and makes us clean, that God forgives. He sweeps those things out of our heart. Because what is the result of confession? It's cleansing. We are made clean by the grace of God. And David goes through and he uses this phrase, blot out, a couple times. He says, blot out my transgression. And that word means to wipe out to make clean, even the idea of to annihilate, to completely get rid of, to remove like from a register. Think about it in an accounting way. If you had massive, massive credit card debt and you kind of logged in all the time and you're just really stressed because there's this massive debt and yet one day you logged into your account and it's gone, it's zero, this is what God does with our sin. He removes it. He blots it out. He says it's gone. It's removed. And David goes on when he's talking about cleansing, and there's two interesting things he talks about. He talks a lot about sacrifices, which under the surface is talking about this idea of blood, so we'll get to that. But he talks about this, he says in verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Well, what's he talking about there? Well, hyssop was a, a branch, a plant, and the Israelites would use hyssop branches to apply, they use it to apply the blood over the doorposts in the book of Exodus with the Passover, when they were in Egypt, he said, take hyssop branches and dip it in blood and paint it on your thing. And so it gives us this idea of purifying. And they were also used in other purifying rituals for the Jewish people in the temple. The hyssop plant was important in this idea of cleansing. And he goes on to talk about the sacrifices and the blood. And this is all going somewhere about cleansing, right? Because there's a lot of talk about blood in the Bible. Have you ever thought that was strange? Why is there so much blood in the Bible, right? Okay. Why is it a big deal? Because of this, for forgiveness to happen, for sin to be paid for, the Bible says there must be a shedding of blood. We look in the Old Testament, we see the sacrificial system, that they, the way that God set it up is that for their sin and to praise God and to thank God and to all these different offerings to God, they would bring a bull or a lamb or a goat or an animal. And it was a bloody process in the temple. And yet it's because God's design that blood would be shed in order for sin to be forgiving. So that something had to die to pay the price for our sin. It's true for the Israelite people and it's true for us as well because we look at Jesus in the New Testament and Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is our sacrifice that Jesus gave his life on the cross and poured out his blood. Why does that matter? Because blood the shedding of blood is what pays for our sin. And so when David says, make me clean, when we are made clean, and he talks about these sacrifices, we have to understand the only way, the reason we are made clean is because of the blood of Jesus, that he gave his life to pay for our sin. 
In the book of Hebrews chapter 9, 13 and 14, it says this. I'm not sure if this will be on the screen or not, but you can, you can listen. It says, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Okay, it's talking about the Old Testament. The blood of these animals would be sacrificed on a regular basis to pay for sins, to make people clean and forgiven. And it says this, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished, meaning that Jesus was perfect and holy, unblemished to God, how much more will that cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? so that we may serve the living God. The writer of Hebrews is saying, if the blood of bulls and goats and animals was capable, if God used that to forgive people of their sin, how much more Jesus, the perfect and holy Son of God, who lovingly and willfully gave his life for us, how much more will that cleanse us from sin and make us new and make us right with God? So in the same way that in the Old Testament, blood and hyssop purified a defiled person, so Jesus' shed blood purifies us from the defilement, from the stain of sin in our lives. We look at verse 10. What's the result of confession? We are made clean. Verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Think about those tangled headphones again. The iniquity, the tangled up nature of our sinful life. For us to have to be renewed a right spirit is those headphones untangled and straight and ready to use. But think about this, may, being made right with God, being cleansed, being forgiven. When we confess our sin, we are made clean and our sin is removed. So what's the second result of confession? It's this, confession restores joy and praise. We're going to start wrapping up in a moment, so hang with me. We're getting there. Verses 12 through 15, David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold with me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. In verse 15, he says, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. When we come to God in humility, acknowledging, confessing our sin, what happens? We're forgiven. We're made clean, and our joy is restored. Our joy is restored because we recognize we have just been forgiven by the grace of God. That God has wiped out our sin. That God has made us new and God says, you're forgiven. You are loved and you are forgiven. So our joy is restored. And when we experience that, we can't help but praise God. To declare his praises. To tell people the goodness of God when we've experienced the grace and the forgiveness of God in our lives. We can't help but to forgive others. We can't help but to say, God, you are great. Because the result of the work of God in our lives, the work of his forgiveness in our lives will flow out of us in praise, in gratitude to God. Confession restores joy and praise. I know that in my own life. And we have to note, confession being made right with God doesn't get rid of consequences, right? Our sin has consequences, and we often deal with those, and yet we can know in the middle of those things that we have been forgiven by God. We are free from the guilt of that. If you read the story of David, he lived with those consequences for generations, or generations were impacted by David's decisions. Our sin has consequences, and yet God 
forgives and restores our joy. So this morning, ask God to search your heart. Ask him to convict you of sin. Ask him, God, show me. Show me things in my life that aren't right. Show me things that I've said to people or ways that I've acted or show me places, God, where I haven't trusted you. Be honest about your sin. And my challenge to you this morning is to confess sin to God. That's the starting point. And then maybe there are people in your life that you need to confess sin to. Maybe there are people you've been just completely faking it with. You need to go and say, I've done this and I've confessed it to God, but I need to ask your forgiveness. Because in spite of all that David did and all that we do, God is willing to forgive because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. That no matter how dirty we are, no matter how sinful we are, that God can create in us a clean heart. Listen, this morning, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter what you think you have done, you are not too far from God's grace. You are not too far. You, you can be forgiven. You can be made clean and set free from sin. But it starts with you saying, God, would you show me that sin? And you have to own that sin and say, yeah, I have sinned. I'm the problem. I can't just blame other things and other people. Trust me, I know other people hurt us. Other people do things that impact and affect us greatly. Every single one of us has to come to a point where we recognize our own sin, our own brokenness, and we confess that to God. And in the middle of that, there's good news. In the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, If we confess our sins, he, talking about God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has given us his promise because of Jesus that if we confess our sin because Jesus has given his life on the cross and paid for our sin, that if we confess our sin that he is faithful and just. He's just because he has already punished sin in Jesus. He's faithful and loving because he has extended a way to you and I that we can be made right with God and we can be cleansed from our sin, from our brokenness, from our unrighteousness. When we look at Jesus on the cross, that Jesus was that unblemished lamb, he lived a perfect life. And he willingly gave his life on the cross. He didn't deserve that like you and I do. Because our sin deserves punishment. This is the justice of God. God has to judge sin because he is holy. But what did God do? Through Jesus, through the cross, God has shown us his love and God has shown us his justice all at the same time. He lovingly made a way so that we can know him. And he poured out his wrath and his judgment and his justice on his own son so that our sin is paid for. Our sin can be forgiven. This is the love of God. And when we are honest with God about our sin, we can experience forgiveness and restore joy. So this morning, we're going to sing. We're going to pray together. My challenge to you is pour out your heart to God. 
confess your sin and be restored. Maybe this morning you need to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I've been trying to do it on my own. I've been trying to earn my own salvation, but I need to come to the point where I own my own sin and I recognize that there's nothing I can do to fix myself. It is only the grace of Jesus. And this morning you may need to come to God in faith and say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and that you have given your life for me and that the only way that I'm made right with God is because of Jesus. And I want to surrender my life and put my faith in in you. You may need to do that this morning. We're going to have a time as we sing, man, ask God, God, what are you doing in me? What, how do I need to respond? And at the end of that, the end of our service this morning, if you need to pray with someone, I would love to do that. We have our other staff members, Graham and Melissa and Ben and Alyssa and Dylan and Autumn and my wife, Abby, and others that are part of the church. There's, there's a lot of other people that you can go to and say, will you pray with me? Well, what I want to do here for just a moment, I want to give you a, just a few minutes on your own just to pray, to be still before God, to ask God to search your heart. Just a few minutes to pray and say, God, how do I need to respond this morning? At the end of that, we're going to sing. When we sing together, it's just a way that we respond to God. It's a way we think about who God is and hand our lives over to him.